A special thanks goes out to the folks at Anchor.fm for bringing you this podcast. Today, a look back at one man's childhood in a very special memoir. I'm Tom Zania, and this is Tom Reads Your Story. Coming to you almost live, it's time once again for Tom Reads Your Story, the number one spoken word podcast on the web for audiobooks, social media posts, current events, and just plain whatever. So let's start the show. For the next half hour, I'll be your host. I'm voice actor and podcaster, Tom Zania. And we are back. Hello, everyone. I'm glad you're here. You know, Today, I've got something really nice, and this is a a very nice book. It didn't do very well, or has not done very well so far in sales uh, at Audible. In fact, I think it only sold one copy, and I think I might know why it hasn't sold very well. I think it's because of the title. The title of this audiobook is Paper Boys. And that's what it's about. It's about one man's, it's a memoir of one man's relationship with certain friends as a kid. And they were paper boys. Now, it's a good book. It's, I wouldn't call it great or the best thing ever written. It's just, it's just, it's a nice little somewhat touching memoir about a man's involvement, uh, with one certain friend in particular, the book starts out with him as an adult receiving mail that proclaimed his friend, his childhood friend had died. And the book, the brunt of the book is his memory of that relationship. I think it's really good. And I I think I did a reasonably good job on it. I think you'll like it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to play the first chapter this week. And then next week, you'll hear the second chapter. This is by an author who's, I think, according to my research, has only done two books, written two books. Uh, the second, well, the first one, obviously, is Paper Boys. The second one is called Silent Partner, which I had a chance to do, but uh, was busy with other another project. And uh, his name, the author's name is Antonio Camiso. And if you do some research online with that name, you'll find there was a capo named Antonio Camiso. And I have to assume it's not the same guy. Um, If you don't know what capo means... Take your right index finger, put it against your nose, and push to the left. Okay. (laughs) It's part of a certain organization, which will go unnamed. And um, no, I think it's definitely a different Antonio Camiso. Uh, I don't know anything about Italian names. If there are some that are real common, like John Smith is a real common American name. So maybe the name Antonio Camiso is also very common amongst Italians. I don't know. 
and uh, you know I don't uh, I don't claim to be an expert on that area. So anyway, this is Paper Boys by Antonio Camiso, and this is Chapter One. Chapter One. It was Sunday, my day to sleep late, but the muffled humming of a motor and voices invaded my slumber. I raised my head enough to read the clock on the dresser. Nine o'clock. Slowly I pushed myself up, then made my way out to start the day and the list of errands that Jessie had waiting for me. I made my way to the kitchen where I identified the noise that woke me. It was a combination of the spin cycle on the washer. The voices came from Forsenic Files, my wife's favorite show. She was nowhere to be found, so I poured myself a cup of coffee and slipped away to our outside patio. I sunk into one of our white plastic outdoor chairs, sipping coffee, as the warm morning sun wrapped itself around me. I was on my third sip when the front door opened. I glanced over my shoulder. It was Jessie, carrying what looked like yesterday's mail. A moment later she joined me, mug in one hand and the mail in the other. Oh, you're up, Sleeping Beauty, she said. I gave her a lazy morning eye look. She set her cup on the table, dropped into the chair, and began thumbing through the small pile of envelopes. Here's one from your sister, she said, handing me a small white envelope. I sat down my mug and casually ripped open the envelope. Inside was a short note and a newspaper clipping. The note read, Thought you would want to see this. So sad. I set the note down and focused on the clipping. It was an obituary. I looked at the photo and immediately my eyes froze on it. I felt my chest tighten. It was Jimmy Foley. What is it? Jesse asked. I couldn't reply. All I could do was stare at the photo. Finally, I glanced up and said, One of my old friends died. Oh, that's too bad, she said. How well did you know him? I gave her another look, then turned back to the picture. My mind drifted back. I was twelve years old when I went to my first wake. I guess you could say... It was the first time I went to a friend's wake. But Johnny Harrington wasn't really a friend. He was just a kid I knew. Everyone called him Hammerhead, because shortly after he was born, he had to have a plate inserted into his head, making the back of it flat. I first met Jimmy during my last year in Little League. He introduced himself to me one day. Jimmy was the starting second baseman on the best team in our league. I played center field on the worst team. A lot of the best players had parents that practiced with them, and they were always in the stands cheering them on. I wasn't one of them. My parents came from Italy. My mother barely spoke any English, and my father was a blue-collar worker who didn't know a baseball from a snowball. He never went to any of my games. I didn't care. In fact, I was relieved. He spoke broken English, and he was a generation older than most of the parents. 
I was a below-average player, and by the summer of 62, I couldn't wait to put my baseball years behind me. I had found a new gang of friends. They weren't into sports. They hung out in the park all year round, mostly at night. As soon as my game was over, I'd join them. I'd use the game as an excuse to buy me an hour or so more time to hang out. One night, as I was on my way to meet my friends, Jimmy headed me off. Hey, Tony, he said. Where are you going? Just going to hang out with my friends. Okay if I come? He said with a tight smile. His question surprised me. I didn't think he'd fit in with our crowd. My friends weren't into sports. We smoked cigarettes, played cards, and were beginning to be interested in girls. I eyed him. He looked much thinner up close, almost anorexic. His face was long and sculpted with high cheekbones. I hesitated. If he told his parents what we did in the park, they'd raise holy hell and we'd be in trouble. I glanced over my shoulder toward the gang that had gathered under the bleachers at the far end of the park, then turned back to him. Jimmy, all we do is hang out, I said, shrugging my shoulders. I made a head gesture toward his teammates, who were still gathered near the dugouts. Don't you want to hang out with your teammates, I asked. Who, them? He said, twitching his head in their direction. All they want to do is talk sports. I hesitated a moment. Okay, I said, then added. Do you mind if I smoke? Only if you don't give me one. I pulled out a pack of Winston's, gave him one, then stuck one in my mouth, and we lit up. I watched him take a drag. I could tell it wasn't his first time. He didn't cough once. Let's go, I said, and we made our way toward the bleachers. Paul Russo was the first one of our gang to see us, and at the time, my closest friend. He and his family had just immigrated from Italy three years earlier. They lived around the corner from me in a two-family house owned by his cousin Linda's parents, who didn't speak a word of Italian. The first day they arrived, Linda called and asked if I would come over and interpret. I did, and we became friends from that very day. Hey, Tony, he called. How was your game? We lost. Paul, this is Jimmy Foley, I said. Jimmy, this is my friend Paul. They shook hands and we moved on. Paul and I took Jimmy around. Everyone seemed to take to him. By the time my extra hour was up, he was one of us. From that day on, Jimmy, Paul, and I were inseparable. The Little League season had ended, and we had a few free weeks before summer was over and it was back to school. I was going into eighth grade, so it would be my last year before making the leap to high school. With baseball season over, the park was deserted. It became our second home. We would meet there by late morning, hang out smoking, playing cards, and trying to be cool in front of the handful of girls who hung out with us. We dispersed at early afternoon, and by six o'clock at night, everyone was back. The leaders of our gang, Dave Hatcher, Steve Lauder, and Skippy Calruso, his real name was Henry, but no one dared call him that, were a couple years older, 
They were the toughest guys in our gang and watched over us like a flock of sheep. There were several other gangs in the neighborhood, and each one had their own turf. Ours was the park. It was a great time. Slick back hair, DAs, and bro cream were still in. It was before Kennedy got shot, before the Beatles started the British invasion. The Four Seasons were on the top of the charts with Sherry. It was the time of Sugar Shack by the Fireballs. Shelley Fabre was singing Johnny Angel, and little Ava introduced everyone to the locomotion. A couple weeks later, I was sitting on my front steps when Billy McCain, the paper boy, was making his rounds, collecting from his customers for delivering the paper. Hey, Billy, I said. Hi, Tony. Collecting? Yeah, but not for much longer. What do you mean? I got to give up the route. How come? My parents are on my back about my grades. I'm just going to keep it until school starts. Who's taking it over? Nobody yet. You interested? My father believed in hard work. From the time he stepped foot in America, he always worked. He used to say that real men go to work every day. It would please him to see that I earn my own money. Yeah, I said. I'll talk to the branch manager in the morning and let him know you're interested. Great, I said. He pulled a pen from his pocket. What's your phone number? he asked. He wrote down my number and said he'd be in touch. The next day, he called and asked if I could come with him and meet the manager. Sure, I said. Be on your front porch at 5.30. In the morning? I asked. Yep. I'll come and get you. I hung up and told my mother. Are you going to get up that early? She asked in Italian. I assured her I could. She said okay and said she'd tell my father. The next morning, I was on the porch at 5.30 and Billy was right on time. We walked to the branch office, which was about 10 blocks across town. The branch office was a small, narrow store that made up half of a wooden building. A shoemaker's shop took up the other half. Three hanging light bulbs lit up a narrow aisle. On each side were two long wooden workbenches. The room was bustling with boys stuffing the morning edition into orange canvas pouches with long straps that hung on their shoulders. In the back of the room, a thirty-something man watched as the carriers filed in and out. He stood about five-nine with black hair. He wore thick, brown-rimmed glasses. "'Morning, Pat,' Billy said as we approached. "'What's up, Bill?' he asked, eyeing me. "'This is Tony Camisso,' he said. "'He wants to take over my route.' Turning to me, Billy said, "'Tony, this is Pat.' We shook hands. "'So you want to take over the route?' "'Yes,' I said. "'Where do you live?' he asked. Off 2nd Avenue. Where do you go to school? Just around the corner, St. James. Well, school's important, but I need guys I can depend on. Oh, you can depend on me, sir. You gotta be here no later than quarter to six every day. Think you can handle that? Oh, yes, sir. Pat was a very easygoing man. I assumed from his name that he was Irish. 
I discovered later that his full name was Pasquale Scambolori. He was Italian, like me. Okay, Pat said. Be here every day this week, and Bill will take you around. You're here now, so you might as well go with him today, too. Sure, I said. I followed Billy over to the wooden benches stacked up with the day's edition. As he shoved the newspapers into his bag, he explained the procedure. It was pretty basic. The routes had to be completed by no later than seven o'clock, and once a week I had to go around to each house and collect the payments for the paper. Collecting is a pain, he said, but usually everybody tips you, and at Christmas you get extra. Visions of dollar signs went through my mind. My first job, I can earn my own money and make my father proud that I wanted to work. I got up at dawn every day and walked across town to the branch office to meet Billy. I traced his steps as he showed me where to drop the newspapers. Some customers wanted their papers placed in certain places like their milk boxes or between their outer and inner front doors, but most of the papers he just folded and flung onto the porches. Patiently, he instructed me how to fold the paper so that it wouldn't come apart when I threw it. After the second day, I was a pro. I showed up the next morning, ready to start another day. I walked into the branch office and scanned the room for Billy. Pat spotted me and called me over. You're a little early. That's good. Bill should be here any minute. Listen, Tony, he said. I got to tell you, Bill has built the route up a lot since he started. I think it's too big for one carrier. I'm going to split it up. You got a problem with that? It didn't matter to me. I was just glad to say I was working. No, that's fine with me. Good. It won't happen right away. I got to find somebody for the new route. Immediately, I thought of Jimmy. I might know someone. I said. Oh, yeah? Well, I need two new guys. Another one of the guys gave notice. It usually happens this time of year when school starts again. I thought of Paul. I might have somebody else. Well, I gotta fill the slot, so if you know somebody, bring them over. Early bird gets the worm, he said. Later that day, I met up with Jimmy and Paul at the park. I told them about the jobs. I'm in, Jimmy said. Me too, Paul added. I gave them directions to the branch office and told them to be there in the morning. He spent the rest of the day hanging out in the park. I introduced Jimmy and Paul to Pat. He filled them in about the job and then sent Paul out with the guy giving up his route. Jimmy and I spent the morning with Billy. Our routes butted up against one another, so we agreed to meet up in the park after. Jimmy and I made it first, and a few minutes later, Paul showed up. Hey, I said, let's go over to the sugar shack and get something to eat. The sugar shack was a 24-hour Howard Johnson's, a few blocks from the park. We called it the sugar shack after the fireball's recent hit, Sugar Shack, which tells about a cute girl serving coffee in black tights. Hojo's had what, for us, was an older girl behind the counter named Denise. She might have been 18, but we all had crushes on her, the kind 12-going-on-13-year-old boys got. Okay, 
they both said. So we headed there. We entered through the glass double doors. The dining area was to our left. We turned right, walked to the far end of the counter. We found three empty stools and sat down. Denise greeted us with a hello, boys, as she scurried back and forth behind the counter, refilling her audience's coffee mugs. Hi, Denise, we said, trying not to stare at her hourglass figure that filled her skin-tight black jeans and white T-shirt. Immediately, Paul pulled his Winstons from his pocket. We each took one, then lit up. A moment later, she approached and filled the mugs in front of us. The usual? she asked. Yep, we replied. The usual was pancakes, a short stack, which meant three. We puffed on our cigarettes and sipped coffee. Paul and I stepped over ourselves, trying to come up with lines that would impress Denise. Jimmy just sat back taking it all in. He was different. He had this casual, carefree attitude. Nothing seemed to impress him. Denise delivered our food. We talked while we ate. After we finished eating, we sat back with an after-breakfast smoke, sipping coffee. Finally, I asked for the check. Denise dropped it in front of Jimmy. He calculated what we each owed, including a tip, and Paul and I handed him the money. Here you go, Denise, he said, holding the check and bills in his hand. She walked down to take the money quickly, checking to make sure it was correct. That shade of lipstick looks really good on you, Denise, Jimmy said. She paused, almost blushing, smiled, and looked at him. Thanks, Jimmy, she said. Paul and I looked at each other. Then we all said, See you, Denise. She smiled again. See you guys. Then added, Stay out of trouble, Jimmy. I don't know if I was jealous or just amazed at how Jimmy could conjure up those words and the courage to say that to Denise. What was even more amazing was that he was so cool about it, like it was no big deal. It was as if he was just making small talk and nothing more. After checking in at home, we met up with the gang at the park a few hours later. The next couple days went the same. Saturday morning started the same. I woke up and made my way to the branch office. I had two more training days before the route was officially mine. I ran into Paul and Jimmy just outside the branch office, and I led the way in. Pat wasn't at his usual post. Instead, a new guy was in his place. He was several years older than us, maybe pushing 17. He was medium height with pudgy cheeks and a roly-poly physique. Before I could ask who it was, Jimmy mumbled, Oh, don't tell me Toad works here. Who's Toad? Paul asked. I'll tell you later, Jimmy said. Jimmy and I looked for Billy, and Paul joined the other character. We found Billy along the line of paper boys stuffing the morning edition into his bag. Let's go, guys. After we're done, we have to come back, he said, putting the strap over his shoulder. We followed him out to the street. As we walked across town, Billy informed us that on Saturdays we had to do inserts. He went on to explain they were the coupons and sales ads that come in almost every Sunday paper. The comic section of the Sunday paper was delivered each Saturday to the branch office along with coupons for that week. 
After we finished delivering, we had to go back and insert the coupons into the comic section. Then on Sunday, we would insert the paper into the comic section. Hey, where's Pat? I asked. Pat's off on weekends. Toad's the assistant manager. He fills in. We made our deliveries and headed back to the branch office. Billy led us to the back of the room, where he instructed Jimmy to grab a stack of the Sunday comic section and a stack of the inserts. On our way to the benches, he stopped and introduced me and Jimmy to Toad. Hiya, Foley, he said to Jimmy. I got a quick once over. We moved on, and Billy showed us the procedure. It was pretty basic, but time-consuming, and it didn't matter how big or small each carrier's route was. Everyone chipped in until all the inserts were complete. We were almost through when Toad let out a startling bellow. Sineski, he yelled. From somewhere in the line, someone gave a feeble reply. Yeah, Toad. Get up here, he ordered. Without looking up, I caught one of the paper boys break from the line and make his way up to Toad. A quick glance showed a younger and smaller version of Toad. I didn't know him well, but I recognized him immediately from school. His name was Oliver Siniski. Everyone called him Ollie to his face, but behind his back, they called him Slim. It was a play on words regarding his plump physique. Jimmy and I kept our heads down, trying not to miss a step, while we curiously observed. Toad handed Slim a dollar. Then he said, Go get me a couple buttered hard rolls and two cups of hot chocolate. And make sure you go to Two Sisters and not Sally's, because I can tell the difference. I looked at Jimmy, and we both tried to keep from laughing. Billy looked at us. What? he said. Then added, Oh, that. Slim is Toad's gopher. Every Saturday, he sends him to Two Sisters for hot chocolate and hard rolls. Why him all the time? I asked. Because the older guys would tell him to go screw himself. When I got to the branch on Sunday, I noticed several wagons outside the door. I entered and found Billy showing Jimmy how to insert the Sunday edition into the comic section while I looked on. I glanced down the line of carriers and noticed an elder, bald-headed man helping Slim. What's with the wagons? I asked. You're going to need a wagon on Sundays. The paper's too big to carry in the bags. The other thing is you can't fold it, so you have to actually walk up the porches and lay it down. It's a pain in the ass, but that's what you got to do. Who's the guy with Slim? I asked. Oh, that's his old man. He helps him on Sundays, he smirked, then added. They make his deliveries in the old man's car. There was another new face in the crowd. Hey, Jimmy, is that Johnny Hammerhead, I asked. He shot him a surprised look, then said, Yeah, looks like he's taking over somebody's route. I didn't really know Johnny Hammond, but I kind of felt sorry for him. He was short and frail and wore thick, dark-rimmed glasses. He lived on the outskirts of town, across from a cemetery, with his mother 
He was a loner with no friends. When his parents divorced, it was big news around school. I figured he took the job to help his mother out. Our last training day went smooth. Pat had filled me and Jimmy in on how Billy's route would be split up. Tomorrow, we would be on our own. We shook hands with Billy and headed home, agreeing to meet up later at the park. I spent the rest of the morning loafing around the house. By noon, I was on my way back to the park. With a little league over, we had the park to ourselves. As I walked across the grass, I could see our gang gathered under the bleachers. It looked like a big crowd today. Someone had brought a transistor radio. Everyone lit up, and we just hung out. Steve, Dave, and Skippy were laying on the ground playing blackjack. I found Paul and Jimmy in the crowd, talking to a couple girls. We exchanged small talk for a while. Then Jimmy suggested we get into the card game. The older guys were always eager to take anyone's money, so they immediately dealt us in. From the time we first met, I sensed there was something different about Jimmy. The card game gave me my first insight into what it was. After losing a few hands, I was running out of nickels and interest, so I dropped out but watched Jimmy go on a winning streak. One by one, everyone dropped out until only Jimmy and Steve were left. Jimmy continued winning almost every hand, but they played on until Steve threw up his hands. That's it. I quit, he said. Like everything else, winning didn't seem to faze Jimmy. It wasn't a big deal to him. I don't even think he enjoyed it, because he hardly ever played. As we were walking home that night, I asked him, Where'd you learn how to play like that? I don't know. I guess my father taught me. All you got to do is keep track of the cards, he said. How do you do that? I asked. I don't know. I just do it. We didn't realize it then, but what Jimmy was doing was counting cards. And that was chapter one of Antonio Camisso's Paper Boys. I might add, if you go to Audible, you can certainly buy this. But I, I also I wanted to say that I designed the artwork for uh, the download because he apparently um, didn't understand it or something like that. And I, I stepped forward, even though it's not my job as producer to do that. It's actually the rights holder's job, which is usually the author. But I stepped in and I, I helped out. So that was chapter one. And uh, next week you'll hear chapter two and the conclusion of Paper Boys. And that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Tom Reader's Story. Portions were pre-recorded. Tell your friends if you enjoyed your visit today because we're always looking for new ones. Thanks, Anchor.fm, for this opportunity. I greatly appreciate it. Until next time, take care, everyone. Bye now. For more information 
on Tom's availability for your e-learning, commercial, or audiobook project. Visit his website at www.tomzvoices.weebly.com. We hope you visit us again soon for another episode of Tom Reads Your Story.